Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we help you bridge the empathy gap to bring you a valuable new understanding of some of the most innovative ideas and trends shaping the future of business and customer experience. My name is Janelle Estes, and I'm the Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And today I'm joined by Marika McCloskey, who is working at Humu as a Director of User Experience. So um, Marika, you just want to tell us a little bit about yourself and your role? Yeah, um, so Humu is a fairly small startup. We've been around for um, three years, um, and uh, our mission is to make work better, which is something that I'm sure everyone can relate to and everyone wants. Um, And uh, I'm the one and only researcher on a still very small product team. Um, And so a lot of my job is spent figuring out what makes people happy and not so happy at work and how we can make that better and how our product experience plays a role in that. Awesome. And in full disclosure, Marika uh, used to be with us at user testing and we're in our user research group um, within our product team. So I'm happy for us to uh, reconnect here, Marika. And I know Marika and I have known each other for a pretty long time. We both actually worked at Nielsen Norman Group for, I was there for seven years. I think you were there for five, but our time was basically, you know, overlapped. So yeah, and it's been more than 10 years. Yes. We've hit the decade mark. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me a little bit. Actually, I'm curious to hear about your move from user testing to Humu and what that's been like for you in terms of maybe uh, similarities and also differences with your role and and the space. Yeah, I always felt my role at user testing was very meta. You must feel this way too, where the goal of the product is to help people create better experiences. And then like my role within that was to help make a good experience for our product. Um, and I thought that leaving user testing and going to Humu would feel super different, um, but we're in the employee experience space, um, which is really not all that different and something I know we'll talk a lot about, but it's been super interesting to see how um, thinking about creating a great employee experience and applying what we know about user experience to that. And it just like so many moments in the day that I'm like, Oh wow. I like feels really meta all over again. Um, And so that's been like super fun and really interesting. Also seeing those like parallels and differences. Um, And I think one of the biggest differences is just um, not that many startups hire a user researcher so early on. And that's been incredible. Um, It's something I've shared with, uh, with others too, it's just, um, I think more startups should do that, obviously, I think that way because of in the UX world, but it's so many decisions are made so quickly, so early on in a startup. And it's so easy to just keep like stay in your head and think that your idea is the best idea. And that original idea for the startup is the thing that got it started and got the like first round of funding and got everyone excited. And it's probably the like big mission, but then so many small decisions are made that are really, really great to gut check with users, do research on, really dig into and build that empathy super early on um, with the like core employee group before the company grows. Yeah. So what are the teams that you work most closely with as, you know, UX uh, researcher at Hulu? Uh, everyone, which is so cool. I work with sales and marketing and our customer success team, which we call partner success or partner experience. Um, I get to work with them, obviously with our uh, engineers and designers. um, And we don't actually have product managers. Everyone is empowered to be a product owner. Um, And then we have this really cool team, um, a team of people scientists. So their job is um, 
they're really data scientists. They look at employee data, though. And so instead of taking usage data, product data, they look at employee data. Um, and that team is the like brains behind the algorithm of Humu, but they're also ones that constantly are doing experiments with new employee data that we can get and also helping companies think through what to do with the findings from um, any research that we might do. And so they're looking at them. I feel like so many things I felt at user testing where they're the like, they understand how HR works. They understand how employees think and feel. They know what makes people like thrive at work. And they're now trying to apply that to a software product to help scale it and get it to everyone. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm like thinking about people scientists, like I think that's such an amazing title. Um, I'm sure that they've seen differences in behavior, um, both like pre-pandemic versus where we are now. How are you guys making sense of all of that? Yeah, it's challenging because there's not really a precedent for how to deal with this particular situation but there is a lot of research that's been done on how to handle trauma or crises. And so we're leaning on like what's known in the field. And most of our people scientists have PhDs and have deep dived into some topic around either behavioral science or organizational psychology and really understand like some of the bigger systems at play and how to sort of leverage leadership. Um, but one of the things that we did uh, right away when the, um, when people started working from home um, and sheltering in place was uh build a product around organizational resilience. The core premise of Humu is that we can nudge people towards better behavior at work. So leveraging um, behavioral science and the nudge theory um, to like incrementally change behavior. Because if you like do a training program or read a book, like it's just really hard to change. Like it's hard to any habit you've ever tried to pick up. Like maybe you've decided that you were going to start running and it's really hard to just decide to do that. And you really need to, like slowly take small steps towards that. Um, and there's really cool things you can do in the design of any experience to nudge people towards the better choice and the better decision. Mm. And so one of the first things we did was leverage the expertise of our people science team. And actually, honestly, lots of people at the company who just have like researched this or studied this or know this from past experience um, and release some free nudges that we sent every week to people dealing with just being home and working remotely. Um, and so it was like a small group of the world, but it was the like people who are now stuck at home trying to figure out how to work and collaborate across, um, across any, like all the barriers that were put into place for people. Um, and so that's one of the ways we're sort of trying to like use our expertise to help. Um, but like really what the impact of this is going to be on work, like it's we need a little bit more time to figure out how this how this influences work and changes work. You've mentioned nudges a few times. I would love to hear like a, an example of maybe what a nudge could be um, yeah. or is. And then also where these actually show up. Like, is it integrated into the tools you're already in? Is this something different? Like just learn a little bit more about your technology. Yeah, totally. Um, I'll first give you like two examples of just like real world nudges that I love um, for people who aren't as familiar. Um, so uh, actually all three of our co-founders were at Google and did a lot of nudging, like pra trying to sort of experiment with what kind of nudges work well at work or not. Um, and one of the simplest ones was there used to be snacks out on the counters, like any snack, healthy, unhealthy, everything was just open and visible. What they did was put the like, less healthy snacks in um, opaque containers 
um, or, or like below in a cupboard or just sort of like they're available. You can get them. You can eat them if you want, but they're not as prominent. And they put bowls of fruit out on the counter and people ate more fruit and less of the unhealthy snack. Or similarly, if you have a soda, um, like a fridge with sodas and drinks, if you put water at eye level and the soda is down low, people drink more water. And it's one that like the, um, core to this is that you don't actually take people's choice away um, but that you just like help them make a better decision. But if they want it, if you really want a Coke, like it's there, you can have it, but it's not at eye level. Um, and there's some really great examples like this for like form design. Like if you want people to pick a certain example, like you don't just like a smart default go so far. And I know that everyone in the UX space has thought about this a lot, but like actively having people opt out is really, really different than like asking them to click something. And so that's a nudge right there. So uh, for us, nudges show up where people communicate and where they work, um, which actually, much to lots of people's surprise, is still email. Like that's where everyone, everyone's in email. It's not like we, we push it to you. You can get to it when you want. You can find the nudges back later. Um, but Slack is another way that place that people show up. But we also have lots of customers that don't work, um, companies that don't have like traditional like tech workers with like a ton of flexibility. So we also work with people in call centers um, who still use email, but at like certain times and it's not as prominent as maybe for you and me. Um, and then this is something that like the, the sky's the limit in where we can nudge. So one of my favorite nudges uh, at Humu, um, we have uh, several series that are really good, like reminders before a meeting or before a big event, especially so we have very different nudges for leaders or managers than we do for ICs. Um, and one of the ones that is all of our nudges are based in, in research and what we know about how people make decisions and how people act at work. Um, and this one is about uh, recognition and things like awards or trophies and that it's actually most effective if not everyone gets an award and that actually making it somewhat exclusive and singling people out makes the award feel more special, but then obviously marrying that with not making it too elusive, not something that not everyone can get. So everyone has to be able to strive for it and get it. But I know it's common, like, lots of people send, like give awards to everyone, or it's like, let's recognize everyone, even not in like an award setting, but even in a meeting where you're like recognizing or thanking someone that instead of thanking everyone because you think you have to be fair, that actually singling someone out is more beneficial than thanking everyone. So that's an example. That's something that we might nudge a manager before a meeting or before some big team event um, or really anytime as just a reminder, like this is good to know. Um, and some of our nudges are more obvious than that and things that maybe you know and do already that are just like a good reminder to like, oh yeah, I like know that that's true, but I don't do it all the time. Like letting other people speak, just like taking a moment to not talk and like in a meeting, let other people like listen before you say something is just a really good reminder for everyone. And that's an example of a nudge as well. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. So it's kind of um, influencing behavior almost in the moment mm -hmm. um, or right around the moment. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because we've talked for a long time around how um, the employee experience itself uh, is, you know, the way you design for that is very similar to how you design for just general user experience. I think now you're also seeing more companies kind of waking up to the importance of employee experience 
Um, you're seeing products built around it, including Humu, but even I think of um, Qualtrics, for example, that has their employee experience um, solution. So, like, in your opinion, uh, how does employee experience compare to user experience in terms of where it is in its maturity? And um, perhaps, you know, if you believe that it's lower maturity than user experience, which I'm guessing you might, um, what are some things that employee experience could kind of borrow from user experience? Yeah. I have so many thoughts on this one. Um, and you're totally right that this space is booming and it's called HR tech. And there's tons and tons of new, new products hitting the market. Companies realizing that they can help, um, help, help HR, help really companies as a whole and the whole leadership team um, help really create incredible employee experiences. Um, I think when it, the, the thing that struck me pretty early on switching to Humu, and like you said, we've talked about this before and how like user testing can be used to understand and research the employee experience and make work better for people. Um, but the metrics are even similar. So if you think of creating a great product, you want people to be engaged and you want to keep your users B2B or B2C products. And so engagement and retention are huge, which are also the same metrics that like a CEO cares about and the head of HR cares about for the company. Like you want employees engaged and showing up to work, how that manifests and what you measure is obviously different, but engagement is such a huge piece. And then retention is too. We know that employees that stay, there's all these benefits to that. And obviously a high cost to keep hiring new people if people don't stick around. And the same with users. If you keep losing, if you can attract users, but you can't keep them, um, that's a big problem. And so once that, once I realized how similar those metrics were, I started seeing many, many more um, situations where actually like, applying everything we know about user-centered design would help HR so much. And I'm not the first one to say this, like there are more people who see this, but generally um, I still feel like that, especially HR, it's totally transforming. And um, the CEO of Humu is Laszlo Bach, who was the head of HR at Google for many years. And he is one of the people who's helped transform HR somewhat by starting this uh, people science um, function to really look at quant data. Um, and I think actually one of the things still missing and it's easy to say as a qualitative researcher, um, but uh, trying to marry that, like what, what do we see at scale about employees and what's happening maybe from an engagement survey or maybe from retention numbers, but then marrying that with some qualitative research to really understand why. Um, and that's one of the places where I feel like the um, employee experience space is still lacking. Yeah. What do you see in terms of maybe some of your customers who might be doing a better job than others? Like what are best practices for marrying qualitative and quantitative research? Yeah. And I'm sure this is one of the reasons it's, uh, it's not done as much, um, but there are people constantly trying to find out how people are feeling and doing. Yeah. Um, there are probably already existing groups that might be willing to share sort of in aggregate what's happening. Um, but I know that some of our customers, one in particular, I'm thinking of a financial uh, company where they, um, they conduct focus groups, they have sort of open office hours to talk about stuff and they based on the quantitative data that they get from an engagement survey from all, they're actually very data focused HR group. Um, any data they have on productivity, on like retention numbers, promotion numbers, they then try to answer that question, not just based on their own hypotheses. And they try to dig in 
talking to leaders can help. Um, I think employee research groups are resource groups are a great source for that. Sort of a, like this is what we're seeing in the data. Like maybe you can help us understand why or understand what that is, and leveraging people in the company who can help you understand what's going on and sort of like as a liaison, like HR is obviously strapped and there's so much to do. We also think of HR as very um, like uh, tactical, like just there's like tasks they have to do versus really trying to like understand the experience and make the experience better. And I think once we start thinking of HR that way, um, leveraging just the existing teams at the company can help so much too. Like I think a design team would be a great team to help think through that problem. Like at our company, what would it look like to like, how do we apply design thinking to the problem? Like we don't want any one employee to feel put on the spot, but we want to understand why this is happening and what people are feeling and, um, and come up with a creative solution that works for your company. I have found that the like most in, like non-threatening way to get people to talk about work. And um, what I do a lot is uh, present like a, user journey, really just a user journey. A lot of what I do ends up being the like journey of like the Humu program and what it's like to sort of like start using Humu and being nudged by Humu. Um, but it becomes about that experience. And then you can place like the user or the employee in this case can place themselves in that experience and describe sort of what that was like for them um, versus it having to be like a one-on-one -on -one conversation that can feel really like that can be just hard to talk about at work. Um, versus if you think about just like, like experience in general. And one of the things that I would encourage people in HR to do that we, um, uh, you and I have done a lot, just thinking about the user experience is thinking beyond just your product. And so in the employee experience space, that's thinking beyond just work at that company. And so a very easy that like way to start this is to have conversations about how people ended up working at your company and sort of what their trajectory has been. But even when they think about their career, sort of like what role does working at your company now play in their like whole career? Like they're going to be an employee for many, many years, hopefully for a long time at your company. I think we, that's another place where we've done a better job um, sort of distancing ourselves when we think about, especially the user experience of like one digital touch point, and we think about the customer experience, they're like reach, they're interacting with our company in so many different places and times, but they're also doing all this other stuff. And they're actually spending way more time in other places and other um, interacting with other companies and other products and other things than just at yours. And so that's another way to get people to open up and talk that is maybe less specific about work or incidents that happened at work. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So um, in terms of employee experience, and again, similar to user experience, there's, um, you know, poster children that stand out as mm -hmm. providing great user experiences. And I'm sure there are companies that stand out as providing great employee experiences. What would you say, like, what advice would you give to companies who are exploring, you know, optimizing or improving their employee experience? Like, how can they kind of push the boundaries or even follow some best practices that you've seen? Yeah. Um, Sephora comes to mind because they did something really cool where they actually applied exactly the same strategy to their customer, to improving their customer experience as their employee experience. But even just like deciding that actually all the same principles and tools and like the same process can be applied to both and is so important. And there's many, many research studies that have shown that 
improving the employee experience actually improves the customer experience. Yeah. Because if you have happy employees, it's much easier for them to support and help customers, but also feel like they want to build something good and they're more creative. And there's just all these benefits to having a good employee experience that ends up also um, showing up for the customer. Um, but uh, yeah, I think when I saw that Sephora applied the exact same principle and one of the like really cool things that they're doing that many other companies aren't partly because the right tooling is not there, but is personalization. Like the way we think about personalization in the customer experience, especially in the digital world, anything we know about this customer, we can like targeting ads is obviously a very like is an obvious example of that, but anything else like past history in our product, what we know about them, like where they are in the world. And we don't do that yet for the employee experience. Um, I was actually just talking to a colleague yesterday about this particular topic of personalization. And she had a great suggestion, even just like pushing the boundaries on benefits that are provided. Um, And there are some companies starting to do this, but if you could totally personalize what maybe someone wants to pay off a student loan and someone else would help with benefits, like, I mean, retirement is good for everyone, but just the balance in like, maybe it's childcare, maybe it's mortgage. Like there's just different, different things that matter to different people, depending on where they are in life, in their career, in like geographically in the world. Um, And that a little bit of customization would go a really long way to feel like the company cares. And it's just really hard to do at scale because you need you need the data. You need to collect the data in order to do it. And then there's not that many tools that, that do that. Um, and this is one of the things we're trying to crack with Humu and, and how we nudge people is to take that context into consideration. So mm-hmm. not just how you feel about work, but also like where you are in the hierarchy. If anything big has happened to you recently, like have you gotten a promotion Then maybe you need different kind of nudges to help make you like the most productive and the most innovative and the most creative. Um, and then you have your own personal goals that you're working on. Um, and this is one that like that could totally transform how people feel at work and, and work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've been doing a little bit of work at user testing um, around understanding the employee experience. Um, a couple different use cases. One is really just pulsing people to try to understand kind of where they're at with the whole work from home, um, you know, environment these days. So kind of trying to understand uh, how they're currently doing and what the company could do to support them. So those are templates that are available for our customers to use to pulse their own employees. And then we also have another um, template available to our customers to understand what their employees think about returning to the workplace and the things that they would need to feel safe and comfortable coming back. So some really interesting kind of qualitative um, human takes on, um, you know, around the whole notion of going back to a workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, We did a little bit of our own independent research. We actually recruited um, 20 people who have been working from home in the United States due to the pandemic, and then 20 people who are also working from home due to the pandemic um, in the UK. And what was fascinating for me was we asked people at the as part of the study, um, if you had an option to continue working from home post-pandemic, would you be interested in that in doing so? Um, um, 88% of people in our study, Um, actually 
said that they wanted to continue working from home. And when we asked why, uh, I found the responses also fascinating. Number one reason was because they just feel safer um, in terms of not being exposed to the virus, um, not carrying the virus to other people, you know, the kind of that core human um, emotion around safety. But then the other interesting thing, which kind of relates back to what you talked about in terms of forming habits Mm -hmm. and patterns, is that people have now (laughs) been working from home for maybe two to three months now, Mm -hmm. and they've now developed these new routines. Like we had someone in our study who who said, you know what, I love it because I don't have to get up early and get ready and commute to the office. She said she sets her alarm five minutes before her first meeting. She just jumped on the phone. Uh, other people said, you know, I uh, really like the ability to do like home related chores in between meetings, like throwing a load of laundry in or filling the dishwasher or, you know, whatever uh, to sort of reduce the amount of work that you have to do outside of a, a normal work kind of schedule. So I think that that's interesting. And I was wondering how that might have implications for the employee experience. Totally. Yeah. And this is like yet another one of those meta situations. Like we had talked, we couldn't like are constantly talking about what this means for us at Humu, like probably you guys are doing it, yeah. user testing. And then also what this means for our customers and our future customers and just the way we work. And I mean, we have such a range in customers in so many different industries where some can't have people work from home or others, they had a work from home policy. And we've also done some research on like when, what sort of work from home policy is the most beneficial. But even then you have to think about like what, what, like what's the success metric? Like it's hard for some roles to measure productivity or output or innovation. Um, and so, yeah, we're absolutely thinking about that. Like, how do we help? How do we help leaders think through that? Cause there's still lots of people who think that it's not a viable way to work. Um, and we like, definitely think it's a viable way to work, um, but it for the right situation, right? In the right context. Um, I think it's so interesting that from that research, you also learned that the first, like some of the top answers were actually still about the virus, even though it's sort of the like in a life after. And it's just hard for people to realize what that's going to be like. And so I've actually been really hesitant to do too much research like there's some things you can research now about how people feel now but I feel like even that question to think about like remote work after like I'm trying not to put too much uh, emphasis on what people feel now and how they think now and what that is actually going to mean a year from now or two years from now or really maybe five years from now like once we have this under control we sort of moved on like I really do think this is going to change a lot and um, I'm in the Bay Area and so there's lots of companies um, as have like been in the news that you might know about that have decided already that people can work from home for the rest of the year or for indefinitely. And so it is really, it is going to change some industries a lot, but I also, I think people can't totally imagine what that is going to be like because, um, and even some of my colleagues now that have also worked from home forever used to like going out to lunch sometimes when you work from home, which you can't do now, or like, there's just the patterns will change and will influence how like what is possible and travel will open up again too. Right. So like you work from home now, everyone's home, everyone's sheltering in place. It's going to be really different when some people return to the office, people start traveling again, interacting in person. And they, um, 
am trying not to make too many, and we at whom are trying not to make too many decisions about like current emotions because it's just such a like um, it's an emotional time. Yeah, but it's also hard to predict how you're going to feel, right? It's like yeah. that age-old notion of like people are actually very terrible at predicting future behavior. And I think even more so when we're in sort of a heightened state of distress. Yeah. Really. But this research sounds incredible to apply, even just to find out what your employees need now from you. Like what questions do they have? Like what are they concerned about? What are they like thinking about that they maybe don't feel like there's resources for? Like you can also start opening up the conversation I think that's a huge one. So even if you're not making like plans to like, how are we going to work remotely for the next 20 years? Like, how do you at least like, what, what, what should the like working group look like? That's exploring it as an, in some ways an outlet, but also like, it's good to probably think about, like there are really going to be people who will want to be remote forever. Um, uh, and like, that's good to know. It's good to know if your employees are feeling that and thinking that. And it's also good, you know, when we think of like good, employee experience design. You want to understand what people's concerns are, their fears, and do what you can to sort of mitigate those. We asked people as part of the study, what are some recommendations you might have? Or even what are you concerned about? We learned, you know, the safety concerns, absolutely. But there were interesting suggestions in the research, which again, like people, you can't always take every suggestion that a user or employee tells you and apply it, right? You have to sort of read between the lines sometimes. But there were some really interesting things, um, everything from limiting visitors, like outside visitors, which makes a ton of sense, to having like specific times for people to go and wash their hands throughout <laughs> the day, which I think is, you know, an interesting suggestion. I don't know how realistic it is. There's ways though, that you can sort of listen to those suggestions and come up with based on what you know as a people scientist or a people expert of what a better solution might be Mm -hmm. that still addresses that core need. Yeah. And then tackle it both from like leadership and the sort of like systems that play at the organization and the policies and like more like somewhat grassroots plans and, and processes, but also just like giving a voice to employees. Before you know it, you'll be building nudges for people to go wash their hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now's your turn. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for, thank for you. joining me. This yeah, it was really so nice great. to catch up. It's so nice to be able to connect with you after spending so much time with you at Nielsen Norman Group and user testing and seeing how your career sort of morphed into a different space, but all still feeling like it comes back to the same stuff. Totally. And that the like user, like it, to me, it's all user-centered design. It's like, how can we have the most empathy for the people we're coming up with a solution for and really understand what their problem is? And it's like, that's all the same. Right. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Marika. Thank you. And thanks for tuning in to the Human Insight Podcast. Want to keep the conversation going? You can visit our podcast hub, usertesting.com slash podcast and check out past episodes. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play so you never miss a good episode. And if you enjoyed our show today, please tell a friend or leave us a rating on iTunes.